Today's episode is sponsored by Game Day HR. Game Day HR is changing the way the world thinks about HR. With capabilities to absorb a business's day-to-day HR tasks or support the current HR team, Game Day HR provides an affordable and efficient, dedicated HR team to help push your business forward. Visit www.gamedayhr.com today to schedule a free, that's right, free HR audit for your business. With Game Day HR, it's game day every day. of workplaces today. I'm your host, Katrina Gazarian. I am the CEO of Game Day HR. I have a really cool guest with us today. Um, David Meltzer is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire, Show Me the Money, in case you all don't know what movie that was. Um, he is a three-time international best-selling author, a top 100 business coach. Uh, he's also my coach, I must say. The executive producer of Entrepreneur's number one digital business show, Elevator Pitch, and host of the top entrepreneurial podcast, The Playbook. We didn't steal your name, by the way, for our, our other show. I realized that afterward. Um, David has been recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. His life's mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. This simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. In all his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. As part of that mission, for the past 20 years, he's been providing free weekly trainings to empower others to empower others to be happy. David, I mean... I want intro. This is like introduction goals. I mean, I, one day, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it here. One day, I want my introduction to be just like this. But welcome to the show. I mean, to have someone like you on this Pee Wee show is amazing. Well, everybody starts somewhere. And, you know, this part of what I talk about is acceleration and growth. And two uh, people in your audience turns to four real quick and then turns to 816. And pretty soon it's two million. Uh, the key is to keep on getting two. I love that. I mean, I obviously I just read a pretty deep bio of you and most people know your story already, especially here in California. You have a, a really large presence here in Southern California, especially Orange County. Um, tell me something most people don't know about you. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I try to be as open and honest as I can. Um, you know, I probably more about my six kids. You know, I think uh, my mom raising six kids. Two two of my brothers uh, aren't biological brothers. They came in through another marriage, but ended up being at our house because their mom went crazy. And so, so I don't really, I don't think I've ever shared the fact that my two older brothers are really stepbrothers in a sense, and that they weren't, you know, my biological brothers, although they definitely fit into the mold of doctor, lawyer, or failure. I mean, my oldest brother who I talk about all the time. He he wanted to be a doctor some of the time he's five. <laughs> so uh, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize in my story is my mom not only raised six kids, but two weren't really biologically theirs or hers. I mean, how, 
how do you think that played? Like, what role do you think that played in your life? Um, I mean, obviously, in order to do something like that, there's there's a certain level of expansion of love for others, right, outside of your nuclear family. How did that play a role in how you do things and how you were brought up? You know, I think just the forgiveness and acceptance and gratitude side of things. My mom was, you know, those core elements of my life, which is gratitude for perspective, forgiveness for peace and for certainty, uh, accountability for control. Those are the things that I grew up on. And I think it was for survival's sake. You know, when, when you don't have a lot and you have that many kids, we were just talking and having fun with the kids that we have. Could you imagine five boys and a girl and you know driving around in a station wagon to feed them while you filled up turnstiles you know with greeting cards at a 7-eleven and meanwhile empowering them to become educated where all of my other siblings went to the ivy leagues harvard penn columbia and they graduated summa cum laude they were no joke academically and that was all inspired and my mom was the catalyst for that inspiration. So it had a huge impact on me in a variety of ways from you know, putting and being too hard on myself, uh, but also to be extremely grateful for everything I had. And then that led to not being worthy of everything I had when I made millions of dollars out of law school. It, you know, It keeps evolving from where I was when I was five years old and my dad left uh, to forgetting my birthday to a variety of other things, all created that long bio uh, that you read that, you know, I don't really pay much attention to. Every time someone reads a bio of mine, and there's a variance of things that I've done beyond that, right? You could say I was the CEO of the first smartphone. A lot of people don't know that or, or may know that. But to me, I always joke around and say, if my mom was listening to this, I know what she'd be thinking. My other son is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> She rather, she would have rather that bio, Dave Meltzer, uh, sorry, Dr. Dave Meltzer, the end. And my mom would go, that's my boy. Oh, that's so hilarious. <laughs> that's very, I mean, I can relate in terms of like culture of Middle Eastern culture. It's become a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, right? And which yeah. I obviously, you know, it's, it's so funny when I hear my parents trying to communicate like what I do. Oh gosh. They're so far off, right? They're just like, um, you know, because I have a nonprofit with Michael Cooper and his family. And so she was like, she works for the Lakers. I'm like, that is so far off. That's so cool. I love that. I, I love that. My mom, my mom used to, I, I graduated law school and got a sales job, right? And I, I didn't even have to take the bar. She made me take the bar, which was a pain in my butt. But I literally had to put Esquire on my business card. And I, she would tell everyone, I work for a legal publisher, so but no, she had to tell everyone in my family I was a corporate lawyer. So when I went to like family functions or her friends' houses, they would ask me all these corporate litigation and corporate law stuff. <laughs> I had no idea. And then I tried not to embarrass her because I knew what she had told them. So it wasn't like, no, I, I sell legal research online. You know, and my mom, by the way, told me the internet was gonna be a fad. And if I took that job, I was gonna literally regret it every day, not being a real lawyer. Oh my God. Oh, parents. <laughs> That's opposite That's of what hilarious. I'm doing. Yeah. So I have, I know, we'll get into business in a little bit, but I do have, I wanted to kind of get an idea and Patty, feel free to chime in on this question as well. Um, there's like a theory of, you know, people who maybe didn't have parents that were as involved or, or maybe had to struggle growing up. We kind of become a certain, you know, we have a certain desire inside of us. Right. And so now our children, you know, they live, they're living a completely different life than, than what we lived. And the theory is they probably aren't going to be as 
you know, driven as we were, do you number one, believe that? And number two, what are, what is some advice that maybe you would have to make sure that they continue to have that drive and that purpose? Yeah, that's my greatest fear, right? I tell my kids all the time, you know, I can't teach you what it was like, and I wish I could. And my greatest fear is what can I do to teach you the same lessons that I learned from the hardship and the challenges and the fear uh, that I had and the scarcity that was surrounding me. You know, how can I teach you those lessons without allowing you to suffer? Uh, and my whole goal of not suffering was so my kids wouldn't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, the way that I do it is to, uh, number one, realize my children don't listen to me, uh, but they watch me. And so I want to act, respond and react in a manner that's going to be inspirational to that purpose to teach them the lessons that I've learned, to show them because of all the things that have happened to me, this is how I act, react, and, and these are the things that you're supposed to do without me telling them. When we, I'm not a no person, uh, I'm not a disciplinarian, I'm a how person. So I'm more than happy with a 16 year old coming up to me and saying, dad, I want a Ferrari. That excites me that I built confidence and vision and asking into them. And then I challenge them and say, that's terrific. How are we gonna do it? How, you know, how much is the Ferrari? It's $150,000, terrific. You come up with 75, I'll come up with 75, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, get, I'll give them something and you know, people say, that's disgusting. You would let your 16 year old have a Ferrari? Heck yeah. If they can make 75 grand at 16, they deserve it and they need to be literally, and they'll learn the lessons of the Ferrari just like I did, right? It's a terrible car to own, especially at 16, because it's mm -hmm. so expensive to drive, no matter if you drive it or not. People think you're an idiot for driving it. And if you're, it was a son that wanted it, you know, the girls would just truly know his anatomy if he wanted to drive that car. <laughs> He's not doing himself any favors by buying a Ferrari. But if he can earn 75 grand, that's a lesson that I want to teach. When you say anatomy, are you talking about like the big truck theory as well? Yes. Okay, got it. Okay, exactly. so, so, so basically some dating advice then, Patty, not that you'd ever hit the dating market again because you're married, is don't date anybody with a Ferrari or exactly. extra large truck. Two things to avoid in dating. So Patty, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, like, you know, you have a son um, who you spend a lot of time with. You're very involved and probably parent in a way that your parents didn't. How do you go about making sure like he's getting, you know, survival, right? I feel like this throwing him into a survival situation kind of helps him thrive. What do you do? Or you just feel like, you know what? You're screwed. Your kid's going to be a mama's boy forever. I mean, I could only hope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think, so I probably can't articulate it as well as David, but kind of the same thing, right? I, I know I'm never going to be able to give him the kind of growing up I did. We're not going to learn the same. My parents were super strict. I'm the youngest of a very traditional Filipino family, still born in Manila. So he's never going to know that struggle of what it was like coming from a different country, waiting for all the paperwork, all that stress that my parents, I had to watch my parents endure. Um, so I try to just show him, right? I'm very conscious of the way I speak, of the way I react. Um, I have talked with him often about just staying in control of your emotions, of how you react and how you treat people. And I think right now, I mean, he just turned seven a couple of weeks ago. The biggest lessons we're learning right now is like, be kind, be inclusive, like think about what you're doing before you do them. Because right now it's a lot of like, this is what I want, I want it now. This is what I want to say and I'll say it now. Um, so I think, 
what I try to do that is very different from my parents is um, really kind of being there to support his decisions, to talk him through the right and the wrong. Whereas if I compare it to how I was brought up, I was very brought up to be studious. I'm supposed to be a nurse. I, I act proper. I sit proper. I talk proper. And, and that's all they want. Appearance is everything, right? On the flip side of that, I don't care necessarily what other people think of you, but your intentions have to be good. Like, how do I teach you that? Yeah, you went and got tattoos all over your body. Yeah, did not approve. <laughs> Didn't work. All right, well, let's just close this chapter on parenting and just come, we can all just come to the conclusion that, you know, good parenting is overrated. It's all about being a bad parent if you want your kids to be successful or, or a scarce parent. <laughs> <Okay>, remember this, kids come, <laughs> kids come through you, not for you. That, that's the best piece of advice I have for you. Just love them. I love it. So David, you, you started and you scaled a multi-million dollar marketing company that required very heavy recruiting. I actually remember very, like, because I'm in the same area as you geographically, I was like sports one marketing. It was like 10 positions at a time. I'm like, what is this? And like, who is this? And who are these people? Um, tell me about some lessons you had to learn about hiring and managing employees, especially in a high growth company. Wow, it's the most difficult thing. I will reiterate my dad's best lesson that he gave me. And he led by example, meaning he's a great example of what not to do. And I learned so much about what he did in his life because I did the opposite. Uh, but he gave me a great piece of advice one time. He said, if you um, don't like someone, wish upon them employees and overhead. Uh, he said, in their mind, they'll think you're, you're, you want the best for them. Just tell them, I want you to have a big office, a beautiful expensive office with tons of employees and the guy's like wow that David Meltzer really wants me to do well and meanwhile you've just cursed him um so, <laughs> uh, employees to me if if you're an empathetic which I am uh, employees are the most difficult thing in my life because I care so much but yet I run a business and it's the problem that you have in sports right you can an owner could be endeared to a player for 20 years but, you know, eventually New England has to give up Tom Brady. And I promise you, Robert Kraft thinks of Tom Brady as a son. Um, and that's the most difficult thing that I deal with in my uh, business is that I care so much, but it doesn't mean everybody can play quarterback and start. Uh, and sometimes we have to let you go or you're not doing or performing well and we have to sit you on the bench or other things that happen. And so I find that managing employees as individuals as an empathetic is extremely difficult. And then you have the collective consciousness, um, which you have to be concerned about, which the New England Patriots are extremely good at, that locker room, uh, the self-regulation, the uh, spirit of excellence that pervades the business. And so what I decided to do was build my business on values and daily practices. And so I have four values that everyone is evaluated on, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication. And then I have five daily practices and those five daily practices need to be utilized every single day, seven days a week. Uh, and so it doesn't mean, especially now in COVID, you're in the office seven days a week, uh, but more importantly, you're engaged. I think mathematically, if you wanna be a successful business, you have to realize that in America alone, about 93, it's every study that I've read, about 93% of all employees aren't engaged. So imagine the mathematical advantage you have 
if you have 100% of your employees engaged. Just think about the math of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude if you have engaged employees. So everything I do is focused in on getting that engagement more than actually teaching them the skills, giving them the knowledge. I want them to be engaged. They'll figure it out through evolution, what to do best, but think about the mathematical advantage I have because I do, all my employees are somewhere between 90 and 100% engaged when my uh, people who do business with me have 93% of the uh, non-engagement. I, I can be far more productive than they can. That's why you saw us jump out of nowhere over a decade to you know, one of the leading sports marketing agencies in the world. Absolutely. And it's very, you know, we have similarities in the, this engagement, right? This word employee engagement. I mean, you focus a lot too on like the, the individuals and how to get them engaged. And we focus on the organization on how to get employees more engaged. Um, so I definitely agree. I, I didn't really, the, the last statistic that I saw was close to 60%. So I'm guessing 93% probably comes post pandemic. Um, and that's atrocious, right? I'd be, I mean, I'd be pissed if 93% of my employees are disengaged. I don't even think I would have a company, to be honest. Um, and so I, I hear you on that employee engagement, and that's something that I don't think organizations take very seriously. I mean, they don't even measure it, really, right? right. Yeah. And so they think that they, they try to improve it by throwing things at the wall, like a perk or, or a benefit or something like that. But they don't even really know what their engagement is. And so how do you know if it's improving? And that's something that we're constantly speaking about. Um, I Do you have, I mean, with these values and you have these this outline and guidelines of how you want your organization to be, do you have like a favorite question that you like to ask candidates during the interview process? Yeah, I always like to ask them about the most challenging uh, time of their life. And then at the end, after they explain it, I'll ask them who, whose fault was that? You know, because there always something happened. And in variance of degree, what I'm looking for them to say is, I'm 100% accountable. Now, the closer they can come, my ideal answer, and I've never gotten it, was, you know, this is the most challenging thing that ever happened to you. And I'd say, I'm 100% accountable. I asked myself, what did I do to attract it to myself? And what was I supposed to learn from it? I will follow that up with after they give me the percentage or variance of who was at fault. Some people go far below the line, blame, shame, justification, and it's a long, sad story and they immediately get off my list of hiring. Uh, but more importantly, I'll ask them what lesson they learned. And if they can't give me a lesson, even if they take accountability, then I also have difficulty because I believe that curiosity is the number one thing that I hire for. This idea, you know, desire to be what you must be, but if you don't have a desire to be what you must be, you won't be curious. So curiosity is a key characteristic. Uh, and the way that we find curiosity is when you start asking people for lessons tied to different activities, you know someone's curious uh, because they wouldn't have found the lesson unless they were curious. And that curiosity is a practical expansion tool that mm -hmm. allows you to work within the context of, I believe, the technology of the universe to be more productive, accessible, and gracious uh, with everything, the activity at plan, don't add plan, activity at paid, and you don't get paid. I like that. I mean, Patty, so if, you know, we ever need to uh, find a job with David, we know how to answer that question perfectly. Your resume is over. <laughs> you, guys fit, you guys fit the mold. You fit the mold. If I, I would die to have you too. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we'll keep that in mind. What, um, I mean, you're, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to age you whatsoever, David, but 
<laughs> okay. So, I mean, there's a difference in when you started a business and in terms of era compared to the era that maybe I started this business. What are the biggest differences between the two eras? Because you're working with people who are about my generation, right? Um, so what are the differences in, I mean, in terms of like employees, mindset, things like that, what are the biggest things you're seeing today? Two things. And I have my kids working on these two things because I think moving forward, they're either going to be greater assets and greater distinguished factors in everything you do. Number one, toughness. Uh, we're not, people aren't as tough as they were, including me, by the way, everything. And I'm not saying entitled that's different, right? I think there's the same percentage of people that are entitled today that there was when I started my first business, right? I'm talking about just toughness, you know, people that, you know, are the Joe Dispenza of the world that just can take a beating and keep on ticking. The, the level has dropped. People can't take a beating. Little, little punches hurt us now. When I used to get punched big time in the face every day, and that's part of the reason I'm successful. So I think toughness is an area to work on. What is your understanding or mindset of pain. Pain to me is not a stop sign. It doesn't hurt. It's an indicator. It excites me. It tells me, hey, dummy, you got a lesson to learn. I'm going to teach you how to get into a better place, a better position, make your situation better. It's a turn signal, not a stop sign for me. Suffering is a process of finding the light, the love, and the lessons and the pain. Suffering is good. If a, a caterpillar it has to suffer and beat its way out of, you know, that cocoon or it'll never fly. If you open up a cocoon, the, the butterfly will die. We're letting our children and we're letting our, our young people die because we're not letting and teaching them about suffering and pain. The second thing is even more pragmatic, telephone. People don't know how to use a telephone. Uh, they think a telephone is texting and you know, I, I joke around, but I'm going to do this again on your show. My cell phone number is 858-688-3294. And I challenge anyone to call me and ask for my help. I'm a fairly connected person. I'm a fairly knowledgeable person. Uh, and yet I do this all the time. I will tell you, while we're on here, I've got hundreds of emails came through. I see them popping up as we're on uh, this interview. I have about 22 text messages. I peeked over at my phone like you guys are, you know. Mm -hmm. 22 text messages. I've had zero phone calls all day. I have zero voicemail. You want Dave Meltzer's attention? Call me. Leave me a voice message. People don't use the telephone. Do you know how much power your voice has? It's a frequency. Mm -hmm. It's a vibration. You can deal with connotation, intonation. You can have a duplex, full duplex conversation with better timing. The people don't use the telephone. So if we can teach toughness on, the telephone, you got it. <laughs> right on. Katrina <laughs> answered her phone. But yes, if we can use the telephone better and, and be tougher, we will outperform with productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, everybody. So those are the mistakes. And that kind of leads into my next question of what are some of the common and maybe detrimental mistakes you see business leaders making today. And so one of them is, you know, not really having that human connection, which is the telephone and voice and, and having, you know, more real conversations with one another. What's an, what's another mistake that you're seeing like the younger, when, when I say younger, not necessarily in age, but just in new, you know, startup business owners. Asking it's radical humility. People are afraid to ask. I'm telling you, I still tell myself every day, ask two series of questions. One, 
you need to ask questions about how you can provide service or value to others and making that productive, accessible connection and a gracious connection. But more importantly, people like to give. I don't think those are hard questions to ask of how you can help. The hardest question and the biggest detriment to new uh, entrepreneurs or startup businesses and most people in general is they're not asking for help. You know, the easiest way to get somewhere is to find someone that's already there and ask them for directions. But it's amazing. Everybody will not ask. I train myself in person, on the phone, via email and media, radio, print, TV, social media, doesn't matter. Ask, ask, ask. How can I be of service? And then here's the question, write it down. Do you know anyone that can help me? So in other words, there are no gatekeepers in my life. I don't have to oversell, back end sell, lie, cheat, manipulate anybody. What I need to do is be radically humble and realize everyone around me is a sponsor or a power sponsor. But the only difference is, like you said, I'm old. My uh, network of people, when I could help someone, was a golf game or a church group or you know some kind of club. Nowadays, my 10-year-old has you know 2,000 followers. So you're missing out. If you're not asking, do you know someone that can help me? You're not leveraging you know 50 to 5 million people a month if you make a habit out of consistently asking how to be of service or value. And do you know anyone that can help me? Everyone out there is a sponsor. They know someone that can help you or even a power sponsor. They can help you and they know someone that can help you. I, I love that. And I, I totally agree with how valuable just even having that network is, right? Connecting with people, remembering things about them. Um, I always say that I'm kind of, I have like FOMO when it comes to new business ideas. I, I'm like, I'm on Crunchbase, Inc., Entrepreneur, Mag, Fast Company. And I just love the feeling of, if, you know, when you're telling me, hey, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to figure this out. And I can say, hey, there's a company that's trying to solve that problem right now. You should connect to them and see what they're doing. Um, and that just feels good, right? To provide solutions. I think that people underestimate how much people want to help. You know, now if you're taking advantage, completely different, obviously. Well, yeah, if you're manipulating, lying, cheating, overselling, or back and selling, completely different. One thing I want to teach both of you a greater lesson is I got into my 50s. I was the king of FOMO. I mean, I literally destroyed myself, creative resistance. I now live in the best state of mind. It's called JOMO. <laughs> okay. I got the joy of missing out. I literally, I'm like, ah, I, I just enjoy missing out. So uh, try to conform and transform into some Jomo sometimes and just enjoy mm -hmm. missing out. I love that. Um, and, and I know you and I have had conversations about this before, but I don't put the Instagram like app on my phone. Um, and so that way, when I am on these apps, I'm very intentional about the time that I'm spending on there. And it's usually right now I'm doing this, you know, create before you consume um, philosophy to where I don't want to get stuck scrolling people's timelines without making sure I'm putting value or content out there first. That's super smart. And I think, you know, the only thing I don't like about TikTok and I, I don't, I'm on there, but my, like, there's so, it's like crack of, of, of sound. There's something mm -hmm. about like you walk by those tunes and like it's the, if you want to test the muscle, my favorite muscle to practice and work out with is called refocus. Like mm -hmm. your mind can only focus on one thing. So I practice refocusing and I do it in a time frame that's faster than light. So people perceive that I do like five things at once, but I've actually practiced the muscle of refocus. I'm focusing, focusing, refocusing, refocusing, and it all comes together. All together is five things. TikTok, 
is the kryptonite to refocus. That mm-hmm. shit will suck you in. And those dumbass tunes, excuse my language. I walk by my kids or my wife and I'm like, ah, I can't get sucked oh, in. Man. I'm a king of refocus and attention plus intention equals the coincidences in my life. I got to stay focused. Oh, that's so me. That's my daughter. She She's not on TikTok because she's not allowed, but they have like some layman's app where it's still the videos and the oh, no. songs, but you just can't share them like on, on social media. And, she, you know, every time I hear her, I'm like walking by and then I just like, you just kind of see me like moving a little and then I'm like, turn it off. You're too young for that. <laughs> it's really for my own. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So last question, and I really and, and I really want you to bring it home on this. You're known for saying, and, and this is obvi- obviously your mission, you want to empower 1 billion people. How do you plan to achieve that? And are you keeping track of how many people you've empowered so far? Yeah, so, you know, when I first came up with this, I people laugh at you, make fun of you, scoff at you, and then they applaud you. Uh, I had some comments like, do you think you're Jesus you think you're Tony Robbins? Like, are you kidding me? First of all, I tell people it's over a billion people. I'm not limiting myself. So I'm going to empower over a billion people. And the way that I do that, I've been training people for free for over 20 years. I do it on Fridays, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's just a lot cheaper now because I don't have to buy people lunch because uh, it's all virtual now. But we had uh, over 20,000 people registered for last Friday, hundreds of thousands, even millions downloaded on the playbook on uh, on Spotify, but more importantly, I use all of my content, my free content, my books, my guides, my exercises, all of the things that I do from the playbook to elevator pitch to my new show on Bloomberg called Two Minute Drill on Amazon, uh, everything I do, speeches, my coaching, what I'm looking for and why I was so excited to come on this show is I'm looking for a thousand ambassadors like Katrina and Patty. If I can empower you with these values and daily practices to teach other people on your shows and your books and your business, a thousand times a thousand, you could empower a thousand people to find another thousand, thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. It's in my reach to find a thousand people like you in my lifetime, although I'm 52. And yes, I have three teenage daughters, so I look 62, but <laughs> nothing I can do about it. Uh, more importantly, I'm only 52, so I got at least you know, 60 years or so, that's what I'm envisioning, uh, to get to these thousand. And if I keep getting great people like you in my life, uh, but I do keep track of people like you, knowing confidently that in your life, you'll empower a thousand to empower a thousand. Remember, happiness, the thing I have on my side, happiness is the greatest virus of all time. It spreads simply by witnessing it. You can wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. The shit will be viral. Happiness strengthens you emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. It'll actually strengthen your immune system. So not only will it strengthen us, but it'll protect us against other viruses. If we can create a collective consciousness of happiness, abundance, more than enough of everything, not live as victims in a world of this is happening to me, why me, or the worst world that I lived in of for me, where I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like, like the Ferrari we were talking about. Uh, Anyway, Moving into a world of more than enough of everything for everyone, we can live in an abundant world. I actually humbly believe that I can change the world through me in a world of more than enough by empowering you and Patty to be one of my 1,000. And that's what my mission is. Reach out to me, david at dmeltzer.com. Join me every Friday or in any of the other platforms that I have.
Love that. Today's Patty's birthday, David. She oh. is 32 years old. So I'm just going to say this was her birthday gift. I'm just saying. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah, love it. 11 so is a magic. 11 is today the 10th or 11th? The 10th. 10th. Well, one, one is a magic number to me. I was born on the 11th. Nice. One, yeah. One, I mean, today's a good number, too. January 11th. I'm May 11th. Ooh, Happy look at that. Birthday. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a great day. 11 is my today. number too. All right. So, uh, David, thank you so much for being here with us. This was great. It was inspiring. I feel like, you know, I'm just going to go put some furniture together and knock it out and, you know, putting those, doing the things that I've been putting off. Um, so in case anybody missed that, you can, you, dmeltzer.com. Um, Instagram is at David Meltzer. Follow him consume some of that content, have a better day because of it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you everybody for listening. You can find us on Instagram at HR sucks. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a beat. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Happy birthday to you.